Hello and welcome to the Food Connections podcast, the podcast that connects you with the food you eat. I'm Dr. Laura Wynas, a registered nutritionist and one of Scotland's regional food tourism ambassadors. I'm interested in all things related to food and nutrition, and I love learning more about the food we eat, how it's made, and getting to know the people involved in making our food. In this episode, I'm joined by Kathleen Crichton-Stewart from the Isle of Butte Smokehouse. Kathleen's background is in nutrition. She gained a degree in nutrition and food science and worked for several years in Australia and New Zealand, writing online nutrition content for websites, most notably Medical News Today. Now back in Scotland and living on the Isle of Butte, Kathleen is the sales and marketing manager at the Isle of Butte Smokehouse. It's one of the oldest smokehouses in Scotland. Using the original kiln built over 100 years ago, their head smoker Alistair hand cures, smokes and slices their fish to perfection. It was really interesting speaking with her to find out more about the smoking process, where the fish are sourced from, and of course, the nutrition of fish. I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to this episode of Food Connections. I am delighted to be joined this morning by Kathleen Crichton-Stewart from Isle of Butte Smokehouse. How are you this morning? How's life on Isle of Butte this morning? Thank you for having me. It's yeah, it's been it's fresh, <laughs> very fresh <laughs> at the moment. So frosty and it looks like it's been snowy. Yeah, thanks for having me. I very much appreciate being able to talk about a little business. Brilliant. Yeah, delighted to hear more about it. So first of all, where is the Isle of Butte, just so we can kind of picture it? It's funny enough, it's something I have to explain a lot because a lot of people don't seem to know where we are. If you get the train south from Glasgow, you are on the train for 40 minutes and you get to a little bay called Weems Bay and then you get a ferry from there for about half an hour if the weather's good, 40 minutes if it's a bit rough. And so we're we're sort of nestled in between they are technically fjords of Argyll and Arran, the island that I think more people know where it is. Mm-hmm. It's a bit bigger, more hiking. I think two whiskey distilleries helps people remember where things are. <laughs> so yeah, we're sort of nestled in amongst some very mountainous parts of Scotland, but we're actually quite a small, low-lying island, so long and narrow. <laughs> and what's the population of Isle of Butte? It's about 7,000 people, which is big okay. for a little island. We, I think the proximity to Glasgow, and it's quite... I wouldn't say it's easy living, but we have two ferries. It's very accessible for an island. And yeah, we're close to Glasgow and you know, it's a very easy to get around place. It's, you can drive around it in about an hour and a half, two hours. So I've actually never been to the Isle of Butte, I have to admit, but I did see, I was just looking it up and I see that the Times voted it as the best place to live in Scotland last year. So it must be really good. I mean, yeah, I think it, everyone's a bit biased. We do think it is. It is a beautiful, beautiful place. I think it's easy to get to and it's quite beachy, which is a bit unusual for that area in Scotland. It's got these beautiful bays and you look out across it and you can see you're always looking at something that's very beautiful. So you're always looking at Aaron or you're looking at the Firth of Clyde or you're looking at the cars of buttes, you know, it's got these big mountains, hills and bodies of water all around it, which are really accessible for people to, so they can live on any part of the island and you have a beautiful view. So I think for me personally, that I think that's one of the things that really sets it apart. Yeah, it's definitely on my list of places to go now. And of course, there's been a smokehouse on Isle of Butte for quite a while. So do you want to explain how or, or the, the kind of origins of the, the business? Our smokehouse has been, as far as we know, recorded to be operating since 1888. 
we know it would have been there by the Bar family. So they would smoke kippers. So started out, the smokehouse started out as a kippers business, which is probably quite common for Scottish businesses that work in the smoke smoked fish trade. And then, you know, eventually they would start smoking salmon and trout. So there is a bit of a, I don't know if it's a slight myth, but that Queen Victoria was partial to a bar kipper. So that's something we definitely do say, but you know, whether that's a hundred percent true, you never know (laughs) whether it's just been passed down. So the bar family built the kiln, which is the kiln we still use today. It's got the exact wooden racks that were built in 1888. They're the ones we use, obviously we use now stainless steel actual racks, but they still hang on the wooden rafters. And you go in and you smell that over 100 years of smoking. So it is, it's pretty amazing. And it's, it's also amazing from a health and safety perspective. That's a, that's a food safe facility, purely because of its use over that time period. And then in the 60s, the Richie's brothers took over the business, bought it off the Bar family, and they operated it until 2000 and like late 2010s. And then the Butte family, which is my family, bought the business. So my father, who passed away in 2021, bought the business because the Richie's brothers were looking to retire um, and just no one was going to buy it. It's not necessarily everyone's dream to run a smokehouse and a fishmongers. And we, as a family, grew up eating the smoked salmon. So my earliest memories of Scottish food would be a smoked salmon sandwich. And it would have been a Richie's of Rothesay smoked salmon sandwich that I would have eaten. You know, that's my, and I have to admit, it's probably one of my favorite foods. <laughs> I'm in the right business. We've been running it for 10 plus years and it's seen a lot of changes because we've seen a lot of changes in the UK economy. We've got Brexit. We've seen a lot of changes in just how health and safety is run. When I originally worked in this business in 2011, my dad asked me to come on. I was living back in the UK because I had lived in Australia for quite a long time. And when I was back, I what we did was we ended up bringing our smokehouse up to a food safe standard. So raw in one way and then final product out the other way. So we, we brought it up fully into a, a mod, as a modern facility then. And then the business started to grow really well. And then obviously we've had COVID and Brexit. And so it's been, yeah, it's been, a, I think for businesses our size, it's definitely been a, a challenging at least five years for many reasons. So yeah, it's definitely got great history. It's yeah. very cool and it's very small. <laughs> How big is your team then? Oh, we're tiny. There's five of us. So, okay. so we've got two smokers now. Alistair is a bit of a local legend in the fishing scene. And he actually used to work on the last running fish farm on Butte 15 years ago. So he's, he's very passionate about the industry and he really knows his stuff. Alan has come on as our new smoker. And then we've got Lorna, who's my amazing operations manager, Avon, who helps Lorna and does part of our retail, and Katie, who works in our retail as well. So we're a little team and everyone kind of, everyone chips in, especially around Christmas. You, you kind of have to know all the different parts of the business, which is imagined very different. I know from working in other companies, you you have your lane, you stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah. So we're getting down to the fish and the actual smoking process. Can you explain how that's done and 
yeah, what the, what the technicalities are. Our process is a little different to what you would probably see in most supermarket fish. So we dry cure. Uh, we use a calculation for the weight of the fillet. This is for a salmon or trout fillet. We use the same calculation. Typically, people use salt. We use salt and sugar. The sugars that are point of difference. It makes for a less salty product at the end. So we rub that into the fillet, a little less on the tail because it's there's less meat, so hopefully less salty. Then we spray it with our secret ingredient, which I'm not allowed to share. <laughs> <laughs> that dry cure lasts for 48 hours. So it goes into boxes, into the room before the smokehouse, the kiln, sits there for 48 hours. And then by that process, you lose about 20% of the weight. So that comes out in water. So it starts as a dry cure, but ends in liquid, if that makes sense, because the water extracts and comes out. Once that's happened, we take them out, we rack them. So it used to be wooden, now it's metal. The rest of the kiln is brick and wood. And so you you imagine you've got long wooden racks and the fish sits along all of those. So it's tiered. And that's an overnight smoke. So we use oak dust, not chips. I really enjoy, because I do go up at Christmas to work in the smokehouse, as I said, all hands on deck. And, you know, watching Alistair Light, the oak dust is actually something quite, like, there's just something about it. It's pretty special. He does it by hand and he just seems to like flick fire and then everything's smoking. So, yeah, basically it goes in in the afternoon. We light the fire. It's left overnight. And then once it's chilled, which invariably it will be because it's quite a cold space. It's brought out into the next part of our modern facility, which is where we then slice it and vacuum pack it. So overall, it's about a three-day process from receiving very little wastage as a business because we we smoke to order. There's any way really to operate like a micro business size and then anything left over from the trimmings, from slicing we use for fish pies, pate, things like that. So... We try and use as much as possible from what we've got. So where does the flavour come from? I guess there's lots of different elements to that process. So is it the type of oak chips or oak dust that you use? Or is it that secret ingredient that makes it taste so good? Or is it the amount of salt and sugar ratio or all of the above? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think it's, it's all of the above, but also there are some really key points. The smoke, we have quite a strong smoke to ours. And ours is very much done... It's Alistair's eye, his trained eye that leads to the flavor that you get. So the sugar, I think, imparts a very different taste at the end. I do find when I try other smoked salmon, I find it personally quite salty. And then there's also, I think, the texture. I think the dry cure really helps with the texture. And then also it all comes down to being hand sliced. A lot of salmon that you get from the bigger businesses, they would have a slicing machine. We still hand slice everything. I think, I think Alistair would quite like a slicing machine. <laughs> I think that, that's quite time consuming then. It is. It's, it's, a, it's a time consuming job. It's one that it's, it is such a skill and just the speed at which he works as well. So Alan's a good slicer and he's, he's definitely picked it up really well, but he's yeah, you know, you can tell there's a difference between someone who's been doing for 10 years versus someone who's been doing it for a year. So, yeah, it's... And, and the Richie's brothers, I have to say, they still come in and help at Christmas, which is pretty impressive. They're in their 70s. But still but, adept slicers. <laughs> yeah, very much. So, yeah, new, new generation of slicers. So. Yeah. And, and of course, there's smoked salmon. Is it the cold smoked salmon? And there's the hot smoked salmon. So is that a different process of smoking or um, similar? 
It's the same. So it's the only thing we do at the end is we, for the hot smoke, we just finish it off in an oven. Okay. And if if you build up the fire too much, then which happened, I think, when Alistair first started learning to smoke, he said that he definitely ended up with some hot smoke by accident instead of cold. So yeah, the difference in, in the way we process our fish purely is we, it all goes in raw, cured and raw. And then the hot smoke comes out the exact same and then we pop it in the oven and then that becomes a hot smoked fish. Right. No, one of my favourites is the hot smoked salmon. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Same. <laughs> and, and do you do, obviously, not just salmon, but trout and other fish? Yeah, we do trout. I'm trying to, I have to admit that the trout is probably one of my favourites, but also from a sustainability perspective. From a farming perspective, trouts are, are better farmed or can be farmed in a closed system. So long-term, I would like to take the business where we focus on our sustainability because obviously there's like large controversies around fish farming, fish stocks, all that kind of stuff. So trout, I think also is, it's got a really different flavor profile because it has got that different fatty acid content. It takes the salt differently as well, which is quite interesting. We use the same process. So it's a, it's actually saltier, potentially because it's, you know, we just have a different profile of proteins, lipids. So yeah, herring, obviously, because kippers can't not smoke kippers, but that's seasonal. So people always calling up and was like, sorry, we just don't have any at the moment. Smoke mussels is something we do a lot of. And it is, again, something I would be quite keen to pursue further because, again, mussels are something that actually clean the water when they're in it. You do have to start thinking about where you end up in 10 years necessarily is that sustainable no it's, it's a good point yeah thinking about the environment and the sustainability aspects it's great talking to you as a fellow nutritionist and i wondered if i could ask your opinion on or if you could explain about the nutrition of smoked fish i think it's interesting because you have to think about how it came about as a product which is when refrigeration wasn't a thing for people so it's a way of preserving so I would say if we had traditional diets that didn't have highly processed foods with high amounts of salt and sugar, having smoked fish in your life on a regular basis wouldn't make a huge impact on your sodium intake. However, you, when you have about 100 grams of smoked fish, you're probably getting about 30% of your sodium intake a day, if not more. So smoked fish has got an excellent profile in terms of you are getting a lean protein, you're getting polyunsaturated fatty acids, which are great. They're the fats we like. There's in, within those fatty acids, there are essential fatty acids that you can't make in our bodies. So, you know, they're really good for you. They make your skin and hair and nails strong. They're good for your immune system. The one downside of smoked fish is, yeah, the sodium intake, because of course, in that curing process, where does that salt go? We're going to the flesh of the fish. And then, you know, we ingest that. So I personally eat a lot of smoked fish. <laughs> <laughs> but I also don't eat, as you mentioned, my background is nutrition. I'm probably the 2% or 4% of the population that spends most of my time eating vegetables. You know, the way we eat nowadays is not quite how we started. So, you know, it's it's hard for those traditionally processed foods sometimes to marry into our into our modern Western diet. So yeah, it's a, it can be a complicated one. It's healthy, but it's also something in moderation. Exactly. That message, the healthy, but in moderation. It's how much enjoy it. In Australia, we use discretionary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a discretionary food? Probably a little bit. 
yeah, so yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I personally obviously love it. Obviously, yeah, you mentioned the the nutrients in it and the omega three and the good protein source and vitamin D as well. I think it's one of the few sources of vitamin D in the diet, so that's useful. But yeah, in moderation, maybe once a week, kind of have a a lovely smoked smoked yeah. fish brunch. and enjoy it. Sunday, yeah. Sunday brunch. There's lots of different ways that you can enjoy smoked fish as well. You make quite a few different products, I believe, as well. So different versions of the smoked fish. A whiskey one or is it a gin one? We do. We do both, actually. We have a local gin company on the island. The the gin cured one is actually they use oyster shells during their distilling process. So they briefly distill over oyster shells. So it's got quite a salt. It's like a salty gin. So it's taken to our and that's a cold smoke. So that product, our hot smoke is we do cold smoke whiskey and a hot smoke whiskey, which is my favorite hot smoke product. And then we also now are branching into pâtés. There's a new product I want to do is also just lox smoked salmon cream cheese. So it's just cream cheese and smoked salmon, but it's pretty good. It's very good on a great, bagel. Yeah. Great combination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a way I guess to get that smokiness and maybe get a little bit less of the, the salty fish and you know, then you're having some calcium. <laughs> so yeah, and then we've also got stuff that we can we only do on islands because we I think this is the thing we very much are a local business. We are the local smokehouse on the island, so we do fish cakes and things like that as well. So we've always got a local special. So if you're on the islands and it's Thursday or Friday, you could potentially then also go get ready-made meal that we've made in house. So you know, brilliant, very, very local. <laughs> Sounds good. I haven't asked this yet, but where does your fish come from? Is it quite local or where do you source it from? It is local to a certain extent. So in Danoon, which is about 18 miles away, and that's on the north end ferry. So it's the small ferry is Argar Seafoods. So they are where we get our fish from. And then they use sort of salmon or Maui, which is the Norwegian salmon farm, farm salmon supplier in the, in the UK. So we get it from them long term as we grow. It would be really wonderful to find some different sources. There's some really interesting farms and companies who are trying really hard to be more sustainable. It's a complicated industry and it's one that's quite controversial. But then it's also illegal to fish commercially wild stocks of salmon in Scotland. And then if you want wild, do you fly in from Alaska, which is highly polluting in other ways and food miles so it's it's definitely when it comes to sourcing salmon and trout it's complicated to a certain extent Mm -hmm. because you often get people questioning whether farmed fish is better than wild or which is the best one to choose is it is farmed fish really bad for the environment is it not as healthy as the wild fish what would you say to that's a good question and I think it's a complicated one because Mm -hmm. So, for instance, there's a lot of suggestion that Scottish farmed salmon is nutritionally of a very high quality. It comes up quite a lot when you're researching what UK exports are like on globally and why it's so sought after. You have to acknowledge that the food of the salmon has to come from somewhere as well. And is that coming from wild fish stocks? And then there's also a specific mineral that's found in krill that is then used and that's where the salmon gets its pink color from 
Oh, and yeah. there's a lot of contribution. They die of salmon when it's farmed and they don't actually die it. What it is is that if you don't feed them this mineral, they don't get the pink color, but they also need the mineral to live. So you either give them the biologically available synthetic version or you give them the real version through krill feed. Either way, that does look like it's dying of salmon, but it's actually they need it to survive. So like we need vitamin D and a few other things that for salmon, they require it. So I would say wild fish, first of all, you're affecting how many are left in the ocean, but also they are, they'll have variability because they're in different life cycle, different cycles a year, depending on how well fed they are. So their nutritional value will vary a wide amount. Mm-hmm. It's consistently about the same, but then equally, you know, there's lots of arguments about, well, if it's not a fast flowing body of water through the farm, then that's affecting the local seabed because of the drugs they use, the extra feed and the excrement of the fish just sitting in that area causing pollution, escaped fish because seal strikes on the nets and things like that. So it's a complicated issue. You can't say one or the other is better getting wild versus farming. Both are probably the least great option. Ideally, I would buy my fish from an enclosed tank on land Mm-hmm. that isn't over populated with fish and then you can take the effluent from that and it's not affecting any ecosystem and the effluent can then be used and processed and used in the farms that would be my i would love to be able to do that because then i'm not affecting an ecosystem i'm not depleting wild stocks and you completely control goes in and out and you may even end up with a product that's useful for farmers so you know that would be ideal yeah, maybe there is systems like that. Is there onshore fish farms? In New Zealand, you do. For trout, you can, more common. For salmon, less common. It's very expensive. It's really yeah. expensive to do. And in Norway, so Norway's got much stricter regulations. And there's a lot of movement now with the Scottish government, and they're cracking down on fish farms. So that would be only good for the industry. It'll be hard. It'll be hard for businesses like mine because it's becoming more and more expensive for us to source our raw products but it has changed. In Norway, there's financial incentives for being good fish farms and they have more closed systems. So, and interestingly, you know, we do have a massive Norwegian company who own a lot of fish farms in Scotland, but the argument is that's potentially because of the slightly more relaxed government legislation, which is tightening up now. So we, we can be assured that the quality of the farm fish is good and the regulations are tightening up. So, yeah, though I think in the next five years, it's going to look like a very different landscape and much more like the Norwegian model, which is good. It yeah. was, it, I think it had probably gone on for a bit too long. And it wasn't that long ago, the previous business owners were using wild salmon. It's, it makes it kind of gives you an insight. So not that long ago since fish farming in the UK kind of boomed, became a thing and potentially grew too fast for the government to keep on top of what they should be doing. So, yeah, it's it's been an interesting time in terms of studies done on sustainability and what can be done to make it a better industry. Yeah, and I know that you've looked at this in, in quite detail. You did send me a link to an article that you did a few years ago, so I'll, I'll add that to the show notes uh, if people want to read a bit <laughs> yeah. more about it because you're obviously <laughs> very knowledgeable about the area. So no, thanks for that. And again, just putting it in perspective as well, what is the kind of Scottish fish industry? How big is it as one of our food industries in Scotland? It's pretty big. Looking into it, it's there is a suggestion that Scottish salmon is our biggest food export. 
And our biggest food and drink export is whiskey. Okay, so, <laughs> whiskey and salmon. So, yeah, so Scotland's been punching above its weight for, for food and drink. So I think it's about six to 800 million pound industry salmon. Equally, then I looked up also whiskey because I was like, oh, I wonder what the comparison <laughs> is. And that's 14.6 billion. So it's... Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a bit of a jump, but it is, it's, it's a massive industry and it also provides a huge amount of jobs. I mean, China's always been the biggest exporter of fish in the world. They just have sheer land mass and volume of water. Scotland's massive when it comes to farmed salmon as an export, and it's a huge part of the economy. Yeah. And who's your biggest customer? Where do you generally sell your fish to? Is it local or is it exporting it? Or uh, I'd love to export one day. <laughs> um, food service, restaurants, wholesale. So we we definitely, COVID really did a number on us. And it used to be directly to hotels and restaurants. And now we're going more sort of food service companies, which is a big one in Cumbria who have been really supportive called Caterite. And they're quite an interesting food service companies. They're also very supportive of their wholesale customers. So they're very collaborative and also really think about packaging and the sustainability of the products that they're using as well. So, and they like small businesses. We'd love to export one day, but we've also a tiny, tiny kilns. Yeah. And Alistair would have to slice a whole heap of salmon to keep up with the demand, probably, if you start exporting. Yeah, I have to think about Alistair. <laughs> I've got to keep, I've got to keep everyone happy. Yeah. Or just be in the smokehouse myself all day. <laughs> I guess to finish off then, that's been absolutely fascinating, but to finish off, what would be your favourite way to enjoy smoked fish or have you got any kind of favourite meal or food memory that you want to share? So I do have a favourite way and I used to think this was quite a controversial way, but the more time I've spent talking to people and working in this business is I've found out that a lot of people do prefer hot smoked salmon. So years ago, I got given this cookbook called Faking It, so which is what was quite funny. And there's a Thai curry recipe in there where you, at the end, just flake in some hot smoked salmon, but also one that's been had some chili with it. And there's, I think, you know, when we think about smoked fish, we think about lemon, we think about, you know, salty, and it kind of goes and works with Thai food because you've got your umami, your salty, your citrus, creamy, you know, cream cheese, but it's coconut milk instead. So I, it's this, um, yeah, green Thai curry with potatoes and so it's kind of when you think about it I grew up eating a lot of fish pie so it's not that it's just a it's a similar you know there's potatoes and there's creaminess and there's some good kick a full <laughs> sensory experience there exactly. <laughs> well that has been absolutely fascinating thank you for kind of sharing your knowledge and explaining your story and, and what you do in the business it's been fascinating and um I quite fancy a bit of hot smoked salmon now so <laughs> right well thank you so much can you say where people can find you online we are www.buttesmokehouse.com and then instagram we are at butte smokehouse so those are two places you can find us and we are also excitingly moving into new premises in a couple months hopefully <laughs> on the island but you know just exciting bit of change and growth so lots happening which is great brilliant so you'll be kept busy then <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely 
kept me very, very busy. And I used a great local food community as well. So I'm quite involved in, in that. So lots lots happening on the Isle of Butte, which is really exciting. Yeah, sounds like it. And, and I really need to get there and yeah, visit. Thank you so much for your time <laughs> as well. Um, best of luck with the move no and, and everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this Food Connections podcast. I hope you've enjoyed hearing all about the Isle of Butte Smokehouse and how smoked fish is made. I want to briefly mention the work that Kathleen is also involved in alongside Butte Smokehouse. She's passionate about community-based initiatives and flying the flag for all things Butte. She's a board member of Butte Kitchen, the regional food group for Butte. And Kathleen is also a director of the new exciting venue Butte Yard, a distillery, events and market space based in Rossi. I've included the links to these in the show notes, so do check them out. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could give it a rating and leave a short review and do spread the word and tell others about it. If you have any comments or suggestions for future guests, do get in touch. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.